Here we go. Buckle up, motherfuckers. Welcome to So Dead, a podcast that isn't always about murder, but usually. Not today, though. I'm Jen Carpenter. And I'm Danny Fairman. Happy True Crime Tuesday. And happy Taco Tuesday, deadheads. Today's episode is a bit of a break from the norm. Uh, November is Epilepsy Awareness Month. And if you've been paying attention, you know that epilepsy awareness is very important to my family. So today, I'm going to tell you our story. But first, we want to tell you a little bit about epilepsy. According to the Epilepsy Foundation of Michigan, epilepsy is a chronic neurological condition that causes recurrent seizures with no underlying cause. Basically, it means that if a person's brain has a tendency to short circuit every now and then, and doctors can't figure out why, that person is diagnosed with epilepsy. There's 3.4 million people in the U.S. with epilepsy today, 108,000 here in Michigan. It is the fourth most common neurological after only migraine, stroke, and Alzheimer's. More people suffer from epilepsy than multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's disease, and cerebral palsy combined. Yet for some reason, it seems to get a lot less attention. And that's because it's so easy to hide. Mm -hmm. Um, Since my son was diagnosed, I've been amazed at when I tell someone, you know, like, oh, my son has epilepsy. There, oh, my, this person has it, this person mm-hmm. has it. You know, there's no outward signs that a person right. has it. Um, and it doesn't necessarily make you so sick that someone can look at you and tell that you're sick. Right. Um, and also, you know, people can go years without seizures. So it's kind of a out of sight, out of mind. I don't want to talk about this thing that's not happening right now, but could come back at me at any minute. And I think that's been one of the biggest struggles is because mm-hmm. it can be hidden. A lot of people that have it do hide it. Right. Um, my son included. I mean, he doesn't lie about it, but it's not something he likes to volunteer to, you right. know, tell strangers the first time he meets them. Right. Right. And it's not, I mean, nobody's asking you to brag about it, but it's absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. Exactly. You but know? yeah, it's definitely something that's very easy to hide. Right. Um, That's never been more apparent than with the recent tragic death of actor and Disney cuter cutie Cameron Boyce, Mm. who died on July 6th at the age of 20 from a complication of epilepsy known as SUDEP. SUDEP stands for Sudden Unexplained Death in Epilepsy and occurs in people who are otherwise healthy. Until his death, Cameron Boyce lived life in the public eye, healthy, happy, successful. The general public had no idea that he was battling with a life-threatening disorder. And that's the thing about epilepsy. You're okay until you're not, and that's why it's so dangerous. It's also much more common than a lot of you probably realize. Chances are you know someone with epilepsy, maybe even more than one someone. Here are some notable celebrities with epilepsy. Prince, Theodore Roosevelt, Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne. Vincent Van Gogh. Elton John. Tiki Barber. Harriet Tubman. And our own true crime podcasting queen, Karen Kilgariff. Epilepsy was once believed to be caused by witchcraft and in some cultures by voodoo. 
It was believed to be a sign of demonic possession. It was once wrongly thought to be contagious. (laughs) Until the 1960s, otherwise healthy epileptics were routinely sterilized and institutionalized right here in the United States. That makes me sick. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. There have always been more misconceptions than truths out there about epilepsy. There still are today. So I'm going to tell you what it's really like. I wrote the bulk of this several years ago, back when blogging was my only creative outlet. Um, This is about the day that the purple monster knocked on our door. And the reason that term is used is that purple is the color for epilepsy awareness. Mm -hmm. Um, So people call it the purple monster. I do, at least. Maybe I made that up. I don't know if I saw it somewhere. I think that's a good term for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. February 14th, 2009 began as a lazy Saturday in our house. Sure, it was Valentine's Day, but I've never been a big fan of Hallmark holidays, so it was just like any other day for us. Austin had just celebrated his 10th birthday three days prior. Ethan was six. They'd spent the night at their grandparents that night before, and Austin came home feeling a little under the weather. He was complaining of what I assumed at the time were waves of intense nausea. He said that every now and then, everything would get very far away, and he would feel like he was going to vomit and his hands felt soft. I wasn't quite sure what that even meant, but I chalked his symptoms up to a virus going around that was causing severe vertigo. My boss's daughter had just missed a full week of school because of it. Around noon, Austin began complaining of a headache. I gave him some children's Motrin and cuddled with him on the couch for a little bit. When he still wasn't feeling better, about a half hour later, I suggested he take a nap. Much to my surprise, he agreed. Ten-year-olds don't nap. I mean, once he hit about 15, I couldn't get him to stop napping. Right. But ten-year-olds don't normally nap. Right. Not unless they don't feel good. No. Wanting to be close in case he needed me, I headed upstairs to do laundry while he napped across the hall. Ethan, who was dressed in his Halloween costume, a (laughs) robo-soldier, and his winter boots was playing quietly in his room. After about 20 minutes, Austin came wandering into my room, a confused look on his face. His eyes were wide and glassy. I attributed it, I attributed it to him being half asleep. Hi, I greeted him. Hi, he answered in this weird sing-songy voice. What are you doing? I asked him. My butt is hot, he said. Like, what? <laughs> What does that mean? Without knowing specifics, that was really a funny response. My butt is hot. My butt is hot. (laughs) I said, your butt is hot. And I laughed, wanting to make sure that I heard him right. He didn't answer me. Instead, he sauntered over to me very wobbly and then began looking at his hands and rubbing them together, almost like he had something sticky on his hands. Um, I assumed it was because they were feeling soft again, which was something he'd been complaining about. I had no idea whatever that meant, but I was thinking like maybe they're asleep, maybe they're a little tingly. Um, But then he started smacking his lips together and making a very strange face, almost like he tasted something sour. I was worried that he was nauseous and about to vomit, and I don't do puke. Um, So I corralled him into the bathroom real quick, sat him down on a stool with his head over the toilet. He was completely out of it at this point. I figured he was just still half asleep, maybe feverish, even though he didn't really feel hot to me, uh, and a little out of sorts. After about a minute or so, he took a deep breath and he sat straight up. I'm okay, he announced, sounding confused. 
are you sure? I asked him. He nodded and stood up, but he was still really, like, wobbly on his feet. Mm -hmm. I helped him back to his bed, took his temperature to confirm that he did not, in fact, have a fever, placed a puke bucket next to his bed, because I don't do puke, and watched him quickly fall back to sleep. I checked on Ethan, who was still playing quietly with action figures, and then returned to my cleaning. About a half hour later, I decided it was time to nix the cleaning for the day, take a shower. It was like 4 o'clock in the afternoon at this point. (laughs) Maybe shower and put clothes on now. Um, And figure out what we were going to do for dinner. On my way into the bathroom, I stopped in Austin's room to make sure he was still sleeping. What happened next, I will never ever forget, no matter how hard I try. And as I'm telling you guys this, it's been over 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, I found Austin sitting up in his bed, the most unsettling look on his face. He was staring at the wall, but it appeared more as if he was looking through it than at it. I called his name, but he didn't answer me. I approached him, settling myself on his knees so that we were face to face. Austin, I almost yelled. He slowly shifted his focus from the wall to my face, but again seemed to be staring right through me. His eyes were just completely empty. Mm. Like, almost scary movie empty. Right, right. Um, His face was blank. I never Mm. really understood what that expression meant until that moment. Um, But he was not there. Mm -hmm. There was no emotion. There was no sign of life, no nothing. Um, It was terrifying. Austin, I whispered, um, trying to keep my voice from shaking because I didn't want him to see that I was scared. Inside, I was panicking, but I knew something was very, very wrong with my child and I had to help him through it. I couldn't let him see my fear. Austin, can you say something? He watched me, his chin trembling, almost as if he was trying to say something, but he couldn't. Every few seconds, there would be a flicker of emotion in his face, and I could see that somewhere inside, he knew that something was horribly wrong. Mm -hmm. I could see he was afraid. I asked him to tell me my name and was met with more blank staring interrupted by brief moments of panic, but no words. I asked him if he could point his finger at me. At first, he didn't move, so I pointed my finger at him as an example. Like this, I begged him. Can you point your finger at me like this? He slowly reached his hand up to mine and grabbed my finger. I fought the urge to burst into tears. No, Austin, I said. Point your finger at me. He watched me, confused, and then lifted his hand up to his face and began licking his fingers. What I felt in that moment, I don't know quite how to explain. I could hear myself, like, screaming inside my head. Mm -hmm. But outwardly, I was silent. Um, It felt like the blood had just been drained from my body. My heart was breaking. Um, They say to have something tragic happen to a child is a parent's worst nightmare, but it's not. It's so, so much worse than a nightmare. It is an unfathomable pain, unlike anything. We sat there for a moment, my 10-year-old son licking his fingers and unable to remember my name, and me hoping and praying to wake up from the world's worst dream. What was wrong with my baby, and how could I make it stop? By that time, Ethan was in the room with us, watching intently. He knew something was wrong. I somehow found the energy to stand. I really felt like I was going to pass out. But when it's your child, right, y- you, right, you make it happen. Right. 
I kissed Austin on the forehead in case there was any part of him that was aware of what was going on, and I told him I'd be right back. I took Ethan out into the hallway with me and told him to get himself dressed, and that it was very important for him to be a big boy and get himself ready without my help because I had a lot to do. I went into my room where my cell phone was charging and dialed 911. Eaton County Dispatch, the words were sharp and so incredibly jarring. This was really happening. There's something wrong with my son, I told the operator, my voice wavering only slightly. As I explained to her how he was unable to follow simple commands and was saying and doing things that made no sense, I remembered something. I'd seen an episode of Grey's Anatomy once where a woman took her son... <laughs> yeah. I know it sounds stupid, but it's, this is really it. Thank you for that. <laughs> so it's an episode of Grey's Anatomy. A woman took her son to the hospital because he was doing and saying things that made absolutely no sense, much like what Austin was doing. This kid was older. He was a teenager, so she thought that he was on drugs or that he was going crazy. Um, the doctors said that he was suffering from seizures. So, I mean, when you mm -hmm. say the word seizure, if you don't know a lot about them, you picture someone on the ground convulsing. convulsing right. Um, this was, you know, something completely different from that. Right. And so... It sounds like somebody having a, like, bad reaction to drugs. Right. Um, although it would be several hours before my fear would be confirmed and much longer before I'd be able to accept it, this was the point at which a part of me knew. The 911 operator told me help was on the way and offered to stay on the line with me. I told her I'd be fine, although nothing was further from the truth. But I had things to do, and I only had until the ambulance arrived to get them done. I was still in my pajamas, still hadn't showered. I hadn't even brushed my teeth yet at 4 p.m. on a Saturday. That's how my <laughs> Valentine's Day was going. Mm, okay? I have those days. Um, I had to get Ethan ready. I had to call the boy's dad. I had to call my mom, and I had to keep an eye on Austin. Um, so I think kind of right here as I'm doing all of these things, mm -hmm. I just want to add, um, I was not married to my husband yet. Right. So I was a single mom at this time, and it was just me and the kids living together. I managed to throw my greasy, unwashed hair into a ponytail and brush my teeth within about 30 seconds. I made sure Ethan had gotten himself dressed properly and wasn't missing anything essential like socks or underwear. He was famous when he was little for, <laughs> like, he would walk out of the house without shoes on. I'd be like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> um, I could hear the sirens in the distance as I called my ex-husband, who was at work, and told him that something was wrong with Austin, an ambulance was on the way, and he needed to meet us at the hospital. He wanted details. I didn't have time to give him. I called my mom and had much the same conversation with her. I was carrying Austin, who was still completely unresponsive, down the stairs to the living room when the ambulance pulled into our townhouse parking lot. Halfway down the steps, he seemed to wake up. I'm okay. It's okay, he said. I set him down carefully on the couch. The EMTs were at the door. Can you tell me my name? I asked him. Austin, who was looking much more like Austin now, looked at me. Um... Uh, oh, Jennifer, he said. I smiled and went to the door to let the paramedics in. Austin watched in confusion as I explained to them what had happened to him. He didn't remember any of it. While they were asking him questions and taking his vitals, I helped Ethan with his shoes and coat and got myself ready to go. Austin's eyes widened when they brought in the stretcher. They loaded him up, strapped him down, and wheeled him out to the ambulance. We'll go slow enough so that you can follow behind, one of the paramedics told me follow you? I asked, confused. I was riding in the ambulance with my son, wasn't I? He's too young to ride in the cab with us, the paramedic explained, motioning to Ethan. Before I could say another word, he hopped in the ambulance behind the stretcher and closed the door. 
I didn't even get to tell Austin goodbye. I followed closely behind the ambulance in silence. Ethan asked me a couple of times if his brother was going to be okay. I lied to him and promised him that he would. I had no idea. On a normal day, the drive from our place to the hospital takes about 10 to 15 minutes, but this drive seemed to take hours. I'm not sure I even so much parked in a parking space, but more threw my car into park and jumped out of it as soon as the ambulance came to a stop in the hospital parking ramp. Ethan and I were waiting at the back of the ambulance by the time they opened the doors and brought Austin out. He was awake and alert, but holding a barf bag. Did he get sick? I asked. The paramedic nodded, but didn't make eye contact. I felt like he was keeping something from me. My mother was waiting for us at the entrance door and jogged in silence with Ethan and me to keep up with the stretcher as they navigated it down the halls and through doors. By the time we reached the children's ward, Austin was awake and completely alert and so very scared. It was when the EMTs were checking him in at the desk that I first heard someone other than the doctor from Grey's Anatomy, who had taken up residence inside my head at this point, mention the word seizure. And you said he had another seizure on the way here, the nurse at the desk asked the paramedic. The paramedic looked quickly in my direction to see if I was listening and seemed upset that I'd heard what the nurse said. The boy's dad was waiting for us in a small room with brightly painted walls, some medical equipment, and a smaller, more comfortable-looking bed than the one Austin had been wheeled in on. The paramedics quickly moved him from the stretcher to the bed and disappeared. Here's where I should mention that at this time in our lives, my kid's dad and I were in the end stages of a pretty messy divorce. I think we were maybe two weeks out from signing the final paperwork. Oh, it was fresh. So yeah, things were not good. You hated in each general. other. I mean, we still <laughs> hate each other sometimes, but yes, everything was very fresh. We didn't spend a lot of time in the same vicinity as one another. Um, so that factor alone added a lot of tension. Um, Our entire family and a slew of doctors and nurses were present as I recounted the events that led to me calling 911 in detail. But looking at Austin, who was completely back to normal, it sounded crazy. He was answering questions, smiling, laughing. He was fine. Maybe it was crazy. Maybe I was crazy. He had no fever. His heart rate was fine. His blood pressure was fine. They drew blood. They took a urine sample. They ordered a CT scan. They brought Austin snacks. My dad came up to the hospital to get Ethan. One of my biggest regrets from that day is that I wasn't more comforting to my littlest boy. He had to be so worried and so afraid. But in the moment, you know, that's not Yeah, you can never look back and have those regrets. You have to just say, I did the best I could in that moment. You also were afraid. Right. (laughs) By the time they came and got Austin for his CT scan, we'd already been in the hospital for three hours. His father was convinced that he just had the flu and I'd overreacted. I started to wonder if he was right. I wanted him to be right. The orderly left the three of us in a small alcove near the CT scan room while someone else was having a scan done. Austin was getting antsy and I was exhausted. All we wanted was to go home. I was talking to Austin about what he wanted for dinner after we left the hospital when he started rubbing his hands together and smacking his lips like I'd seen him do earlier that day. It's happening again, I said, feeling like my legs might fall out from under me. What's happening? Austin's dad asked, not understanding what was going on. Austin, what's my name? I asked him. Basketball, he answered. Get help, I said to my ex-husband. He took off running down the hall, yelling for help. By the time he returned with a nurse, Austin's body was convulsing. 
He had drool pouring out of his mouth. His skin was turning a bluish gray. He's choking, I screamed. The nurse turned him on his side. There was lots of yelling and button pressing and intercom paging. They whisked us into a trauma room. There were so many doctors surrounding us and I couldn't see him. There was a nurse standing at the end of his hospital bed holding paddles, like the actual shocky paddles. Uh, (laughs) It was surreal. I couldn't watch what was happening to my child, so I walked out of the room. A nurse followed me. I can't be in there, I told him. I'm sorry. I just can't be in there. He nodded, and he led me to a chair at the end of the hall. I turned my back so that I could not see into Austin's room. The nurse took my pulse, then asked me if there was anyone at the hospital he could get for me. My mom, I told him. She was back waiting in Austin's room for us to come back from the CT scan, so she had no idea what was going on. He left, and I sat in silence, watching the clock. I could hear my ex-husband's sobs echoing in the halls as doctors worked frantically on our son. Within minutes, my mom was by my side. She tried to comfort me, but she kept looking down the the hall. I could tell she wanted to be with Austin. You can go, I told her. So she went. I sat in the chair at the end of that hall for what felt like forever. My only company was the nurse who came and took my pulse every few minutes. All I could think about was how it was 10 years to the day since I'd brought my baby home from the hospital. He was born on February 11th, so we took him home on Valentine's Day. And it was Valentine's Day 10 years later, and now I was going to have to give him back. 10 years. 10 years. Was that really all the time that had been written in the cards for me to have with my perfect, beautiful little boy? I know that everyone thinks their own child is the best and the cutest and the most talented, but Austin really was just absolutely perfect. He was the most gorgeous, sweetest little boy. He was both the teacher's pet and the most popular boy in his class. He got straight A's and was a state champion wrestler with an undefeated record and an all-star baseball player. He was strong. He was healthy. He was perfect. And he was only 10 years old. This could not be happening to him, whatever this was. I kept thinking about something that my best friend Anna's mom told me several months after Anna was killed in a car accident. She said she just poured herself a glass of orange juice when she got the phone call from the hospital. She set the glass down to answer the phone and was still, several months after the accident, waiting to take that drink of orange juice. For me, it was the game Clue. Austin had asked me to play it with him that morning. I told him I was too busy and we would play it later, foolishly thinking that we were just automatically granted a later. He had to get better. He had to pull through this. He couldn't leave me forever waiting to play that game of Clue with him. After nearly a half hour, doctors were able to stop Austin's seizure. I returned to his room where they had a chair waiting for me next to his bed. He was heavily sedated. They said he would likely not wake up for a few days, during which time they would scan for tumors, do a spinal tap for meningitis, draw more blood. While the trauma doctor talked, I watched my baby boy sleep. He looked so peaceful if you ignored all the tubes and monitors hooked to him, which I tried my best to do. He really was so beautiful, and he looked so little. He was the older brother, so I always thought of him as so grown, so mature, but he was still just a baby. 
Even before he was born, I had so many hopes and dreams for him. I had all kinds of plans for our life together, most of which hadn't come to fruition yet. But as I sat in that hospital room, watching the rise and fall of his chest, I wanted just one thing. I wanted him to wake up, even if only for a moment, so that I could tell him I loved him one more time. How had we gotten here? I'd started the day feeling sorry for myself because I was alone on Valentine's Day and was ending it by trying to find a way to prepare myself to say goodbye to my little boy. I closed my eyes as they did the spinal tap while Austin slept. I waited anxiously in the trauma room as they did the CT scan. I prayed so much and so hard that someone must have taken pity on me because when they brought him back into the room, he was awake. I showered him with kisses and told him I loved him a zillion times. Hearing him say I love you too remains one of the best moments of my life because I didn't think I was going to get that moment. You never know how vital to your own existence the sound of your child's voice is until you're faced with the possibility of losing them. They prepared a room for Austin in the pediatric intensive care unit. As luck would have it, my ex-husband's entire family was in town for the weekend, and they were all waiting in the hall outside our ER trauma room. Austin had a full entourage with him on his trek from the ER to the pediatric intensive care unit. Before the ICU nurses even had him settled into his new room, the trauma doctor came bearing good news. No meningitis, no tumors, no cancer, no infection. Those were the four scariest options we were facing. The plan was to monitor him through the night, then do more testing the next day. His room was so full of people, it was overwhelming. With Austin out of the woods and at maximum capacity for visitors, I decided to run home and take the shower that was now almost 24 hours overdue and pack a bag for our next several days in the hospital. Austin agreed to let me go as long as I promised to bring back his blankie. (laughs) I reluctantly left the hospital and headed for home. It was after midnight and there were hardly any cars on the road, which was a good thing because I did not realize until I pulled into my parking space that I had traveled that entire way on the highway with no headlights on. (laughs) I took the fastest shower of my life, grabbed a couple changes of clothes, grabbed Austin some toys and books and his blankie and a change of clothes for him to leave the hospital in. I called a couple of friends on my way back to the hospital to update them on what was going on. In less than an hour, I was back at Austin's bedside, which was pretty impressive considering that the commute alone took nearly 40 minutes there and back. Wow. Yeah, I was was booking it. You were not messing around, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) By the time I returned, all of Austin's visitors had left except his dad and my mom. He was asleep. I put his blankie in his bed with him and pulled a chair up next to his bed. My mom left for the night, and his dad left to go shower and change out of his work clothes because he had come straight from work, and he has to wear a uniform. Mm -hmm. For a long while, it was just the two of us. He slept a lot, only waking up every once in a while. I, on the other hand, was wide awake. I wasn't going to miss one single second with him. At one point, he woke up and asked me to turn on music for him. I played him the few songs I had downloaded on my phone over and over. This was kind of right as phones were starting Mm -hmm. to get smart. Mm -hmm. So it did like a few things, but not really. (laughs) Um, He asked me to lay with him, which was not an easy thing to do in a pediatric hospital bed, but I did my best. 
As we cuddled, listening to music, I stroked his hair and kissed his little forehead. And at around 5 a.m., just as I was finally starting to doze off, Austin, who had apparently been wide awake for a little bit, said to me, Mommy, I don't want to die. I promised him that he most definitely would not be dying anytime soon. (laughs) My answer seemed to satisfy him because he fell back to sleep and slept soundly for another three hours. I, on the other hand, finally broke down and cried for the first time that day. It was technically the next day, if you want to be a stickler about it. (laughs) It was all one day to me. Yeah. Um, We were in the pediatric intensive care unit for three days. That place is its own world and one that I did not want to be a part of. It's a depressing, heartbreaking place to be. The families there are going through the most unimaginable tragedies. I kept to myself because I couldn't deal with the awfulness that surrounded me. I wish I'd been stronger, that I'd been able to reach out and be a comfort to other parents in need, those whose children were in much worse shape than mine. I just couldn't do it. And that's another of my great regrets from that time. Austin underwent test after test and saw specialist after specialist. On day three, he was finally diagnosed with epilepsy, which essentially means that the doctors could not find any explanation as to why he was having seizures. That's all epilepsy is, someone who has seizures for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Did you know that? Mm-mm. I didn't, I didn't. know that. I thought it was a visible disability, something you could see by looking at someone. I thought it was something you were born with or something only really sick people got. I didn't know that it could strike anyone at any time, even a strong, healthy, perfect little boy like mine. But it did. Austin is one of the lucky ones in the epilepsy world, as his seizures are, for the most part, controlled with medication. We've had some bumps in the road along the way. Austin's first medication was not a good fit for him, and he began suffering from breakthrough seizures about six months after he was diagnosed. When he was 12, he reached an important milestone. Two years seizure-free. His neurologist decided to wean him off his medication to see if the seizures would return, which is something they commonly do in children. Really? Um, okay. Mm-hmm, because kids can grow out of them. It can be something that happens like as their brain chemistry is changing. Mm-hmm. So if you've gone two years without one, they'll try to take you off the meds. Um, and they say that if within six months you don't have another seizure, that they won't come back at all. Hmm. Um, but after about four months, Austin's did. Hmm. Several times now, since that awful February day in 2009, Austin has been rushed to the hospital by ambulance after having a grand mal seizure. The worst part is always when he wakes up, because he's even if he's awake, he's not coherent. Mm-hmm. And so when he wakes up in the ambulance and he realizes what's going on, he's just so... It's scary. It's not that it's... It is scary, but it's not the scariness. It's the, oh, God damn it, it happened again. <laughs> right. You know, it's that disappointment, especially now, because if he has a seizure, he can't drive for six months. Right. And you take away the ability to drive at 20 years old, and that, you know... Mm-hmm. He can't go to work. He can't go to school. He can't just jump in the car and do what he wants. No, he cannot. The first time uh, that he had another breakthrough seizure, his face was partially paralyzed for a good three hours following the seizure. Mm. The second time, and every time after that, all of the blood vessels in his face and neck burst, and he was covered with prickly bruises for about a week, and that still happens. Um, One seizure was so violent that he dislocated his ribs. (sighs) One seizure about a month after his 18th birthday sent his heart into AFib, which landed him back in the ICU for a few days while he stabilized. 
Seizures are scary and violent and harmful to not only the brain, but the body. The older and bigger and stronger Austin got, the more violent his seizures became. We live our lives with the constant threat of seizures hanging over our heads, knowing that one could come at any time without any warning. Aside from when they first began, all of Austin's seizures have been at night, so I'm sure you can imagine how well I sleep when he's in the house. Um, Every morning, the first thing I do is get up and go stand outside his door, trying to build up the strength to open it and check on him, to make sure he's still breathing. We all do that as new parents. I know. We stand in the doorway and we silently watch (laughs) Mm -hmm. our babies. We watch for that rise and fall of the chest, Mm -hmm. a sign of life without trying to wake him up because, God, we don't want to do that. Um, So, yeah, imagine doing that with a 10-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 20-year-old. It will be part of my daily routine anytime that Austin is under my roof. Poor fucking kid. <laughs> you know how many times he's, he's woken he's woken up with his mom just creeping at the end of his bed. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> at the time of this recording, it's been over 2 years since Austin's last grand mal seizure. Yay. His most recent was on October 30th, 2017, the day before Halloween. But the threat is always there, always lingering. To look at Austin, you'd never know he has epilepsy, but he does, as do nearly three and a half million Americans. Does someone you know have epilepsy? I bet you might be surprised. Would you know what to do if you witness someone having a seizure? You should, because epilepsy is more common than you think. November is Epilepsy Awareness Month, so be aware, please, for my family and for the millions of others like us. There are ways that you can help raise epilepsy awareness. Sharing this episode is one of them. You can donate to the Epilepsy Foundation in your state, participate in fundraisers, volunteer at support centers. But the single most important thing you can do is educate yourself on what to do if you witness someone having a seizure. You're more likely to witness a seizure in your lifetime than you are to have to perform CPR. And while CPR classes are very common... Seizure care classes do not exist at all. So I'm going to read you the official seizure aid instructions from the Epilepsy Foundation's website, but I'm going to tweak them a little bit, and I'll tell you why. Because I know better. (laughs) Of course you do. (laughs) You guys can make your own decision on whether my tweaks are sensible or not. They might just be me being a paranoid mom. Um, Number one. Try to protect the person said. If someone's having a grand mal seizure, mm-hmm. they're hitting the ground. Um, you know, there may be a minute of warning, there may not. But once they're on the ground, you want to make sure they're not banging their head mm-hmm. into the ground. Um, so if there's anything that you can put under their head to support it, do that. Whether it's a purse, a pillow, your your poor hand, mm-hmm. um, something. Right. Um, Try to roll them on their side if you can because you want to prevent them from choking on drool or vomit, but you don't want to force the movement and you don't want to restrain them in any way. So if you can gently make sure that they're propped to the side, do it. But if you can't do it without you know, a struggle, then you need to just let what's happening happen. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as it's over, as soon as the, the main right, part of the seizure on. is over, make sure they're on their side. Um. Do not put anything in their mouth. That's such a common, common misconception. You see it in movies still even. They'll put a pen or a this or a that. 
and say we don't want them to swallow their tongue. It's, it's literally impossible to swallow your tongue. Please don't try it. Um, <laughs> um, while someone having a seizure can and most likely will bite their tongue, they are much more likely to choke on whatever you just stuck in their mouth to try to stop it from happening. Mm-hmm. So do not do it. Um, if you can, time the seizure. Odds are, if you just witness someone fall to the ground and start having a seizure, looking at your clock or at your watch or at your phone is not going to be number one on your list. Um, But if you think about it, do it so that when the paramedics arrive, you can tell them how long it lasted. Call 911. Here's where my advice, my plea as a mother, differs from what the Epilepsy Foundation recommends. They recommend that you only call 911 if the seizure lasts more than five minutes or if the person has injured themselves. That's bullshit. Unless you know this person and have discussed their seizure plan with them, call 911 immediately. Mm -hmm. Seizures can be very dangerous. People can die. Seizures can cause issues with the heart, as they've done in my son. They can cause trouble breathing. You could be witnessing the first of a series of seizures and say you wait five minutes and the seizure is still going. Then you call 911 and have to wait another five, 10 minutes for the ambulance to show up. No, unless you know the person having the seizure and know what to expect, which my son has had epilepsy for over 10 years and I still never know what to expect. I don't think you should ever assume you know what to expect. Right. You call 911. Mm -hmm. You don't wait. Um, If anyone ever witnesses my son having a seizure, I wouldn't want them to hesitate even for a second to call for help. Mm -hmm. So that is my personal recommendation. And don't at me about unnecessary ambulance and hospital bills. I get it. It's a thing. Not everyone has good insurance. But as the mom of someone with epilepsy, I would prefer that you be safe rather than sorry. Absolutely. But just so I'm being official, the Epilepsy Foundation says if a seizure has been more than five minutes, that's when you call 911. Mm -hmm. I say no. Um, (laughs) If the person has a bag or purse with them, check it for emergency seizure medication. It exists and it comes in many different forms. There's navel navel sprays. Let me spray this in your belly button real quick. You get a special piercing for that. <laughs> Just there's kidding. nasal sprays. Um, there's shots. There's all kinds of different versions depending mm-hmm. on, you know, what's been discussed with the doctor. So a lot of people don't have it. A lot of people don't carry it with them. But just kind of like an EpiPen, you know, right, right. check for it if they've got a bag on them. So that, um, you know, it's not something the ones I've got experienced, they're not easy to administer. Um, so unless you know what you're doing, don't try to use it yourself. <laughs> This is not Pulp Fiction. You're not stabbing adrenaline into the heart, right? Um, But it doesn't hurt to, you know, see if it's there while you're waiting for the ambulance, get it out, and have it ready for the EMT and say, you know, they had this. The EMT should know what to do with it. Right. Um, Here's where I'm going to differ a little bit again from the Epilepsy Foundation. You do not leave the person alone at all. Um. The Epilepsy Foundation suggests that you stay with the person until they come to. But let me tell you something about coming to after a seizure. It's tricky business. Austin comes to within about 10 minutes of a seizure, typically. He can tell you his name. Mm -hmm. He can tell you who the president is. He can answer simple questions. But the next day, he won't remember any of it at all. Because he's not okay. He's still completely scrambled. 
So just because a person seems alert and can talk to you Mm -hmm. does not mean that they're okay. And you could get up and walk away from that person thinking that they're fine. And they could get up and walk straight into traffic because they don't know what the hell they're doing. So you do not leave someone alone by themselves after a seizure. Make sure someone else is with them before you peace out. And if you're following my instructions, you've called 911. So you would be leaving them with paramedics. You don't leave them before. So really, it's simple. Try to make sure they're safe and won't hit their head or choke on anything. Call 911 and stay with them until help arrives. Seizures are scary and can be traumatizing to witness, but it could be my child that you're saving. So please, please take the time to do it. And that's it. That's all I've got. I can't imagine leaving somebody. Epilepsy fucking sucks, man. I know. I know. Yeah. But you have to say it. You, yeah, you have to say Because there it. are shit people out there, well, as and we it talk can about be, all the time. You know, if you're not familiar, if you're not familiar right. with seizures and mm-hmm. you're not familiar with epilepsy, if you're taught, and, and we have this struggle now because Austin's legally an adult. Right. So we're in the hospital. He could check himself out. He could say, I'm fine. I want to go home. Right. And I'm telling them he is not going to remember any of this tomorrow. And they're telling me he's got to make his care decisions because he's an adult and he can talk to me. So he needs to tell me. And it's very frustrating. Um, But yeah, so it's just, yeah, it's all bad. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your story. That was a good one. Sorry for the snot. All my crying over here, probably. Yeah, you definitely made it hard for me to not. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, You want to do file dump? Can we? Okay. So since we're inching towards Thanksgiving, we're going to tell you guys about our favorite thing about Turkey Day. Turkey? Turkey? Can I tell you something really funny? Yeah, please do. There's this family feud episode. Uh Uh-huh. And the person is doing, like, that final round, like, they're the winners. So they're doing, like, the winning round where you get you have to match so many points to get the $10,000. Mm-hmm. And all of the answers that he gives is turkey. <laughs> <laughs> all of the answers. I want you all to Google it because it's really funny. Oh, my God. So in How our family. How many of them were right? He got points. I don't remember if they won. but That's funny. So every time he'd be like, turkey? Turkey, turkey, like so. Now it's just this joke in our family that we just go turkey. Is turkey your favorite thing about Thanksgiving? No, no, no. I think that, turkey tastes like napkins. I mean, I love turkey, but they mm. got it's got to be doused in gravy. Yeah, it's so bland. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite thing about Thanksgiving—not to sound like all cheesy—but I love that my family all gets together. <sighs> Like, there's something about it. My aunt and uncle come down. My cousins come. We all sit in the living room, help my sister cook, and look at Black Friday ads, even though I'd been studying them for weeks beforehand. (laughs) You're acting like, you're just making sure they didn't slip something in at the last minute. There's something about having them in hand. That's absolutely true. Yep. But yeah. Circle shit. Yes. That's my favorite thing. What's yours? Um, You know... I am not the biggest fan of Thanksgiving as a holiday. It's never been a big deal to me. Um, I think because I was like a real picky eater as a kid. Mm. So the fact that all this shit's on my plate that I don't want. (laughs) That looks gross, but it's so freaking good. No, it's not all good. Do you like stuffing? I do now. Oh, okay. I do now. I like most of it now Mm -hmm. um, in small doses. Like I'm good with a Thanksgiving plate. 
Mm. Um, I probably won't eat the turkey if it's white meat and dry. Hmm. Goodbye. I'll eat a turkey leg or I'll eat it like you said if it's got like gravy on it. It could not be more different. I'm such a dark meat person. Okay. Like I think white meat's grote. Even chicken. I won't eat it if it's white meat if it doesn't have like something on it. Hmm. All right. It's grody. All right. I don't like the consistency, the texture. <laughs> okay. I'm not a fan. So what um, do you like about it? I like macaroni and cheese. We don't I have that on Thanksgiving. What? Okay. I like macaroni and cheese, and I like green bean casserole. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We put the cracked chicken seasoning on it. Oh, that would be good. So fucking good. I bet. Um, yeah. So, I mean, if we're talking like Thanksgiving food, I would say. And and I I do like it when we're able to get like the whole family together, but that's not always the case. You know, mm-hmm. I'm my right. husband and I each have ex-spouses. So some mm-hmm. years we have four kids, some years we have no kids. Right. Um, and so it's just all kind of discombobulated. But it is nice when we're able to have everyone together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, when it's just he and I, we've kind of found a groove. I mean, now I'm always working, always working on a story or something. Right. Um, but one Thanksgiving weekend, we didn't have any of the kids and we had uh, a Harry Potter marathon nice. the whole time because he hadn't seen the movies. Nice. So we just do kind of random. One year with sweet. the kids, when we did have all four of them, back when I used to put effort into like doing creative fun things because they were mm-hmm. all still little, um, they all are very picky eaters too. So we oh. got turkey legs from the turkey man. Remember him? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we got turkey legs from the turkey man. And we had this big backyard, and we did um, a zombie hunt. Like, I bought these zombie shooting targets, and they had blow darts and BB guns and ran around the yard shooting and killing zombies. (laughs) That sounds fun. They might do that now, but I don't trust them anymore, and one of them would probably (laughs) blow dart his brother. So don't blow dart your brother. Um, Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. I love Thanksgiving. That's my thought. That's it's my opinion. The prequel to my thing is the preface to Black Friday. That's true. I love Halloween mm-hmm. and I love Christmas. So Thanksgiving to me is just like, again, I just did things and I'm getting ready to have to do them again. Why do I have to do them now? You're so opposite. I love all the holidays. <laughs> Except I don't decorate for Thanksgiving. No. I no. mean, you've got a lot I of put, pumpkin stuff. Yeah, but I that shit comes down on November 1 and my <gasps> Christmas stuff comes up. I've got really good Halloween stuff for this year, so I it will have be just extended. Kind of, I just kind of left some of it up. We're, what, two weeks past Halloween now? It's not mm-hmm. all down yet. Not yet. My, my Christmas is up. <laughs> I love <laughs> me so a funny. good Christmas tree. I know you do. Anyway. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for making us a part of your day. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon at SoDeb Podcast. You can also find us online at SoDebPodcast.com and email us your feedback and story ideas to SoDebPodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you guys in a couple weeks and now get out there and shine. Yeah, magnificent. What the fucks? <laughs>